Greetings to all of you. In the worthy name of the Lord Jesus, I can say it is indeed a privilege to be here this morning. And I regret that uh, we haven't been here before. But that's a little how life is, I guess, with all the uh, things we had to contend with in the past year. And so we are grateful to be here this morning. Well, Brother Meyer and I had to think, I just heard a story uh, last evening about a good deal, uh, though it was a material one. Uh, someone told me that a lady from Chambersburg came into the area that had a, a sale on in a local, one of the local fabric stores, and uh, she was looking for a good deal, and she ended up buying $6,000 worth of fabric. And here she... Uh, she sews, I think, uh, pillowcases or maybe some other things for all the uh, Ronald McDonald houses. And uh, I guess in the United States, I'm not sure. And she found out that there was a local store here having a big sale. So she went and, and uh, stocked up a while. That was, he was overwhelmed. He never had a customer like that. And she cleaned him out of a lot of old stuff that hadn't moved and so he was telling me about it. I had to think that. I guess she got a good deal. Shall we stand together for prayer this morning? Our eternal God in heaven, we love you this morning, Lord, and are very, very grateful to be a Christian, to have that blessed hope and the wonderful opportunity to give us to become the sons of God does not appear yet what we shall be. We know and we shall see him. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Thank you, dear God, for all that you have done for us. We live in a very difficult and troubled world. And uh, thank you, Lord, for the remnant of God's people here in this community and around the world that we have contact with. A certain amount of them, not near all, but we are grateful for the ones we do have and have a joy in our hearts to hear of them and hear of their faith and also hear locally to see those who are remaining faithful, we trust, and want to continue on in the faith. I pray you'd break the bread of life this morning and help us to understand some of the difficult things of life, Lord, or of the word. We love the word. We thank you for it and just pray that we may have deep understanding in uh, the things that you give us to read and speak about. Thank you for this congregation here at Oasis and do pray your blessing upon them and uh, today and the future that they may be a pillar in the faith and practice as we look forward and hope that we can remain faithful unto you until that last day when the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ shall arise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. May that be a comfort to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let us turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. I suppose that most of you who are students of God's Word know that chapter 9, 10, and 11 are written to unburden the heart of the beloved Apostle Paul concerning his people, his heritage, his background, the Jewish people. If I can just refer a little bit to some of his words, in chapter 9, he starts in with, uh, that I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my kinsmen, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. 
there's no question as to who that he's talking about, isn't it? And then in verse 10, chapter 10, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel. And he's not talking about spiritual Israel. We know there is a spiritual Israel. But he's talking about Israel according to the flesh that they might be saved. They're not saved now. Many of them, there were a goodly remnant of them saved, but most of them were not. They were uh, steeped in unbelief and rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, my heart's desire and my prayer and desire is that they might be saved. And he said, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of Christ. And then at the end of chapter 10, it's very important there to look at a few verses also. Uh, Verse 18, I think we'll start reading. But I say, have they not heard... Yea, verily, their sound went unto all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? Were they totally ignorant? Didn't they have any understanding? He's saying, first Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, for by a foolish nation I will anger you. And then he said, Isaiah, or Isaiah, is very bold, and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Now that gives you a bit of the background. Now I... um, not sure if I should tell you a little bit where I'm going or not this morning, but I am not here just to speak about Israel, although I would like to use that as a foundation to provoke us today uh, concerning where we are. I think it's very advantageous for us to have a big picture. I tend to like big pictures and look at the big picture, more than I do the small one. I guess I've kind of tended that through my life, but I look at young people today and they look at the little picture to where they are at and the difficulties they have in their church or in their community or the, the world around them in their very small little place where they are referring to and they get very discouraged sometimes and go through some difficulties and problems and and therefore, just kind of want to talk about hanging it up and just giving up and and um, going out into the world to see what the world has to offer. But uh, which is a very, very sad, uh, small world and small picture that many have. But I'd like to stretch your minds here a little bit this morning. If you'll allow me in, hopefully I won't offend too many who may be of a different um uh, interpretation of prophecies and why I am, but uh, if you'll bear with me, I uh, know nothing else but to um, but to give what I believe God has given me or the the um, understanding that God has given. And so I I would like to do that and use this as a springboard for my burden at the end. Let's start in reading in verse. Uh, Chapter uh, 11, verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Now I assume, and I think it's very true, that this letter was written while Paul was a prisoner. It was in the A.D. 60s, sometime in Rome, And when he was chained to a prisoner there under Nero, awaiting his execution or awaiting his sentence, and he was writing these letters to the churches. I think that was a a wonderful plan of God when we look at um, 
how he appealed on the Caesar and God told him that he has to go and needs to go to Caesar and then we end up and it looks like his life was wasted uh, compared to his active life before, sitting there in a prison in Rome, chained to a Roman soldier. But we got more out of him for the ages since from that prison sentence than we did with the rest of his life, probably, because it is there that he wrote most of his epistles, and we love them and have uh, planted our faith and uh, much of our doctrine in, uh, in the things that he wrote while he was there in prison, and it was a tremendous opportunity uh, for the Christian church for him to be uh, having a, 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 some parchment and, and a pen in hand and write these books. And so I just want you there again to see the big picture of God and how God uh, has so much more of a bigger picture in mind than many times that we do and it's very necessary that we have it likewise. Now the background that we have here, uh, let me, uh, let, yeah, I think I'll just uh, talk a little bit about this. The question comes up. Now, let me say by this time, there have been many Gentile revivals. Paul had three missionary journeys and he had the ministry to the Gentiles and he saw many of them repent and come to the Lord. And the Jewish people were hardening their hearts and were had crucified the Lord some 25 years before, perhaps, and somewhere around there. And there was a, a, a good revival right at the beginning of Pentecost there, after the Lord Jesus was crucified for a little bit, and then the thing fizzled out and faded out. And uh, the apostles were running into problems wherever they went, from those in the synagogues and the Jews that and Judaizers that followed them around and tried to undermine their ministry to the Gentiles, all that was going on. But Gentiles were coming to the faith, and this people who were not a people were coming to the faith and believing and getting converted. And it was, I would say, provoking Israel, but not so much to jealousy, even though perhaps some of that went on, but they they were just uh, so upset. I uh, was reminded of that so much again the past week as my wife and I are going through the Gospel of John. And it's just incomprehensible to see the anger and the unbelief and the hardness of heart that the Jews had at that time right before the crucifixion when Lazarus, Lazarus was risen from the dead and they were so upset that the persuasion that that would bring to the Jewish people to believe in Jesus, that they wanted even to kill Lazarus uh, to stop that influence. I mean, they were hard-hearted unbelievers. It's just uh, hard to comprehend that somebody could see the miracles that Jesus had done and still tried to discredit and undermine him and stone him to death for it because it didn't fit their program. Well, that's how religion is and can be and still is today. When uh, they have a mind of what they want and what they want to see happen, and it's not going that way, and and uh, so they try to oppose anything that's trying to bring change and enlightenment to the to the people. So, no, God hath not cast away His people, and that's what Romans chapter eleven is all about. That The Jewish people were blinded due to the hardness of their heart. And some would think uh, predestination enters in there. But I believe as I compare this scripture with other scriptures there in Matthew, where Jesus said their eyes they have closed. And then after they have closed their eyes, then God closed them a little further. And after they put a veil over their face and said, we don't want to see, we don't want to see, we don't want to see, then God put a veil on their hearts that they couldn't. That's that's what happens, and God does that with people, and that is a a big concern that I have in our day, which I'd like to speak of at the end of my message. So Israel was disobedient, 
uh, when it says all day long I have stretched my, uh, there in, in, in uh, chapter 10 verse 21, all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. A people who didn't want to hear and didn't want to know. And therefore they shut up their hearts and shut up their eyes, spiritually speaking, uh, so that they wouldn't see the things that were happening right in front of them because it didn't fit their particular interpretation or program that uh, you, whatever you might call it. But there were prophecies throughout the Old Testament and many of them. And I think it's referred to in one place here that all the prophets spoke of a time when there would be a restoration of Israel and Israel would not be totally cast away, but that there would be a remnant brought through and come to faith. Now, I wish I would have the time to also bring Zechariah 12, 13, and 14 along with that. I may refer to it uh, a bit here as we go along, but uh, Zechariah, Joel, Hosea, Amos, uh, uh, practically everyone, Isaiah, Moses wrote about it, and just many, many of these prophets wrote of a time when God will uh, bring a people who were not a people, or bring the Gentiles, they will arise and see thy light and the brightness of thy shining, and that they would uh, they would be brought in to also believe and be a partaker of the grace of God. But then, in the end, after a long time of uh, unbelief, I think uh, Hosea would say it this way, But the children of Israel, in verse uh, 3, chapter 3, verse 4, the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, and without a sacrifice, without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. In the latter days. Don't forget that. We believe we are in the latter of the latter days today, and uh, now we we have these things that uh, that uh, are happening in our time. So then he gives his own credentials in the flesh that he is also a a uh, well. Let me just em- emphasize the fact that God forbid. So whenever. That uh, phrase is used, it means a very emphatic, no, no, no. God has not cast away his people. God is not finished with the Jewish people. Now, there are a lot of people who have been to Israel, and I have not been there. And they go down there, you know, to the Wailing Wall, and all those men are there, and they're black cats and black coats, and and they're uh, doing their thing, you know, bowing back and forth and reciting uh, parts of the Old Testament or um, different things of the Jewish faith. And I just heard the other day where somebody walked up to him and and uh, challenged him a bit about Jesus and so on. And he believed in reincarnation. And many of them are hard-hearted and they have not in the past been very open uh, to the gospel. So we know there are many of them that are still in unbelief, but there is a prophecy that, that, uh, resonates through the Old Testament that they will in the end come back and be believers. So we have that, uh, prophecy being given here by our brother Paul that, uh, God has not cast away his people which he foreknew. Now, who is he talking about? Well, it cannot be spiritual Israel because it is a group of people that he foreknew that were his people in the Old Testament or in history past. And so God has not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not, what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed my prophets, thy prophets. And dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. 
But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Now that was written at a time of Ahab being king of Israel. I, I think it was Ahab that he was a contemporary of, uh, of uh, uh, Isaiah, Elias the prophet, Elijah the prophet. And, and uh, here he had 7,000 people who had not bowed their knee to Baal. And what he's saying was there was a remnant of people uh, that still believed and would not bow down. And that is a beautiful thing to look at. Uh, we often have uh, talked about the remnant through our past 30 years. We even call our magazine the heartbeat of the remnant. And, uh, and uh, often preached about that because we believed in a remnant through history. And that uh, is evident that it has always been that way. Even though massive idolatry, massive uh, apostasy in the Old Testament, yet there was a, a number of people who would not bow their knee to Baal and would continue to believe. And uh, that's a blessing to understand that here at the beginning as he uh, makes reference of that. Even though they killed the prophets and dig down the altars, yet, and Elijah thought he was the only one left. He felt pretty lonely. And Jezebel was hunting him down and trying, to, wanting to kill him. And, and he, he felt pretty alone. But he was not alone. There were a number of other people who still believed. And I think that is also true in our time. And we thank God for that remnant scattered throughout the world. Um, even so then... He's saying, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now that simply means that there's a remnant of Jewish people that have attained on the election of grace. They have found the the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They have found forgiveness of sin. They have found the grace of God reaching them. And he's saying, this is not according to the Old Testament Way, he said, if by grace, and it's no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise work is no more work. It's just simply laying out there very clearly that if they have attained unto this by grace, then they didn't attain it by the law. They attained it by faith in Jesus Christ. And he's saying that is the way, and there are Jewish people who have attained unto that. Now, even though, like I say, there were 5,000, 3,000 there at the time of Pentecost, and later on it talks in the book of Acts about a great number of the Pharisees that believed, yet at the same time, we uh, we recognize that uh, they were few in number compared to the masses. Some would say that uh, very shortly after this, in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, as the Jews had gathered together under the false prophets that had said there is safety in Jerusalem, there was anywhere from 700,000 till uh, toward a million uh, in the city, or right, right, um, that were involved in that terrible, terrible destruction there. So when you look at uh, 5,000 or 3,000 uh, being converted compared to uh, a million or more, and then then you had. Uh, many suburbs or other cities out around Jerusalem, yet that were occupied by Jews. And so there were many, many Jews in Israel at that time. So it was by grace. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. I thought it interesting that it brings here the fact that Israel did have something they were looking for. They had something they sought after. And you take that, uh, you, you notice that with the scribes and Pharisees and the uh, scribes, uh, yeah, the scribes and, and the, the uh, Pharisees and elders of Israel there. They were seeking for something. They were trying to maintain something. And they had added much to the old Mosaic law. But they were off track. They were not obtaining that which uh, they were seeking for because they had rejected the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But then the election 
they found it. They, they This remnant that Paul is talking about, they obtained it, and the rest of them were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David said, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? And that fall means a permanent fall. And uh, what we know is that they did stumble at the stumbling stone, Jesus Christ. But he's saying here, did they stumble that they should permanently be eliminated and, and uh, um, rejected? And then he's saying, God forbid, again, no, no, no. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them, uh, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? I want you to see that. That... uh, uh, I think Paul also writes in another place, What advantage then hath the Jew? And he says, Much every way, because to them was committed the oracles of God, and the law, and all the things that they they had a great advantage. And so, now he's still saying that, even though the diminishing of them became the riches of the Gentiles, when even Paul himself was so rejected in the synagogues that he said, Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now he says, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might have, and might save some of them. And if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, What shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Notice those clear words. If the rejection of the Jew, or the, at least, uh, not permanently, but for the time, because so many of them were rejecting and unbelieving, that if the if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? It's uh, speaking of a resurrection there and an awakening that uh, will come back again. And if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not thyself against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. I thought maybe it would be an advantage if we, uh, it would be nice if we'd have a little uh, tree here, a little bush here. I'm not um, a horticulturist or uh, know much about grafting. But uh, if we if we just look at uh, uh, a tree with, various branches on it and then we have the uh, the roots of the tree going out um, and if that we we picture the olive tree and what happened here according to this that due to unbelief I'm not sure where uh, to say maybe I should uh, put a few more branches on it but somewhere in here, uh, the Jewish nation was cut off. And it wasn't totally cut off, but it was cut off. And a wild olive branch that was not natural to this tree was then grafted in, into the tree. And what he's saying here is that there should not be a high-mindedness about this or a prideful comments or 
attitude, and that does exist. The Jews have been, many, many religious teachers and preachers have commented that God is finished with the Jew. They are broken off forever. They will never come back as a people. They will never be repent and find their way back. But Paul is saying that the opposite. He is saying that if the natural tree is grafted back in again, if for some reason something happened then at the Gentile uh, branches are broken off, and the natural olive branch be grafted back in again, how much more their fullness. Now that will be a natural fit. We, as Gentile people, are a wild olive branch. We are not a natural olive branch. Even though there are many scriptures that we appreciate very much, the fact that it says that there's no difference, Jew nor Gentile, bond they're free, and all have the opportunity to come to Christ. But if the natural uh, olive branch is broken off and a wild one is grafted in, that it may be partaker of the root. And what's the other word there? I wanted to think of the sap, fatness of the olive tree. Partakers of the root and fatness of the olive tree. So we as a Gentile people can have the sap of God flowing up through that root and the root bear us, and we partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, and we have the blessing of God upon our lives. And that has been going on for 2,000 years now, virtually, that we have been grafted into this natural olive tree, uh, and we're, we, we were a wild one grafted in, but we have partaken of the blessing and grace of God, and the Jewish people, as a community, not as every individual, but as a community, as a group of people, were put aside, were cast off, were um, uh, blindness came upon them, hardness of heart. And it has been that way all through these 2,000 years. People have tried to evangelize the Jewish people throughout the years and cared for them and saw some of these prophecies and perhaps tried to bring this whole thing about, that they could be grafted back in again, but it just didn't happen. There was a blindness and a coldness upon their heart. And that was put there by God due to them hardening their heart and blinding their eyes back when they had the most glorious opportunity to see the miracle-proving work of God in Christ. Uh, during his earthly ministry, and they rejected that. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to know it. And even when they crucified him, made the awful statement, his blood be upon us and our children. And that blood flowed for generations and centuries and even thousands of years, thousands of 2,000 years. That blood has flowed, and especially more recently in the Second World War, during Hitler's regime there in Germany when six million of them were killed uh, um, because they were Jewish. He hated the Jews. And therefore, um, you know, and God allowed that still to happen at that age. And that is that basically was what the story was for the 2,000 years. So, here he says, some of the branches were broken off. Not all of them. There is still was a remnant of Jewish people that believed and were able to become believers during those 2,000 years. Never many, never as a whole, never a community of people started a Jewish Christian church of any significance until here in the last 50 years when the Messianic uh, uh, movement started, the me- uh, Messianic Jewish movement started to happen. I would say it's probably in the last 50 years, most, mostly here in my lifetime, that I, uh, that I know uh, and I've read of. Other than that, there's no revival. There's no big move of God. There's no hundreds getting converted. There are not Christian churches all over the world starting up in at least 1900, 1950 years that were basically a Jewish. In fact, many of them uh, 
had kind of integrated into the world. Many of them were atheists, unbelieving agnostics, and like I said, even believing in reincarnation and so on. A very sad situation in that. But they brought that upon themselves, and they, there was a curse that came out down upon them that lasted all that time. Now, that brought about a fullness and a blessing to the Gentile people. And for 2,000 years, the Gentile people have had the revival. They've had the 100 people uh, get converted, or hundreds of them at great revivals. They're the ones that have had churches planted all over the world, became missionaries, and took the gospel out to the ends of the earth. And we have enjoyed that. We have loved that. We have are the benefits of that sitting here. We are not Jewish in background, even though there's a few... Uh, false prophets today that want to try and make us uh, 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 lost tribes of Israel, but I don't buy into that uh, at all. I believe we are simply Gentiles that have enjoyed the blessings of God these 2,000 years. But he says a very interesting thing. Be not high-minded. Be not high-minded, but fear, he says. There should be a major concern, I would say at least in our time, that God is able to graft them in again, and the blindness and darkness and veil will come upon the Gentile people. And I believe it's so because of the lukewarmness that we are seeing among God's people and in the churches and the falling away and the, the, the unbelief. Simply be uh, concerning God's word, which we are right in the midst of the worst soup of that in, that the Christian church has ever seen. I believe in that there is so much unbelief and rejection of biblical truth that we are approaching a catastrophic something happening here. And let's see what it will be. I'll read on. Verse 19 there, they were... Thou wilt say then, well, they were, their branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. And if you go back to the book of Hebrews, he says that very clearly throughout the book of Hebrews, how, uh, they, 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 because, yeah, they, they were cut off, they, 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 uh, because of unbelief, they couldn't enter into his rest. And you have all of that unfolding back there also in that book. That I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. And i just like to say here before I go on, I believe there is so much guilt of high-mindedness in the evangelical world throughout the years. Thinking they acting like they have a monopoly on, the, on, on grace. So much so that they don't need works. All they need is an experience of grace upon their life and they're home free. That has been, and they, they have boasted of that. And you can never lose it. You can never fall away. It's, it's permanent. You know, you have it. You, you just uh, uh, make a, 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 a verbal or claim to it somewhere or raise a hand in a, in a meeting and that's it. But He's painting a very different picture here in saying that we are not to be high-minded but fear. And here he says, why? For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. A verse I think often neglected and not preached on enough in our time. Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God. On them that fell severity. But toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Now, I want you to notice that word if there, because it is very conditional. On them which fell, yes, there's a severity of them being cut off. But toward thee, Gentile, Roman, Gentile church, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou the Gentile convert church in Rome, thou shalt also be cut off. And they, now referring to natural or natural Israel, the Jews, and they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. 
For God is able to graft them in again. And I, uh, I just want to underscore that. Uh, God is able to do it. It may look impossible if you tour Israel today, like I say, and tour the Wailing Wall and talk to people around there, but God is able to do it. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? They are a natural fit. They belong there. They've been there before. And even though they haven't been there for a long, long time, they are able, God is able to do it. He can bring them back. He can bring repentance and and draw them and pull them again and graft them back into their own natural olive tree. Now he says in verse 25, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. And I think that has been the Gentile mistake through the years, especially uh especially since Calvin and, and, and probably all the way back to uh, Augustine, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And that is my concern. And that's where I want to I wanna, uh, look at, even though I'm not finished yet with Israel. Blindness in part is happened to Israel. Not in total... Not totally annihilated. God is not through with the Jew. God is not finished with them. But blindness in part. In that, let me say it this way. It was difficult for Jews to get saved. I think we have to conclude that. Um, If one got dead serious about the matter, he could find his way. And they did. And there's a remnant of Jews that were converted through the years. But not many. But now he's saying that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled or the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Same thing. Time of the Gentiles be fulfilled or the uh, fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And that is my concern that I would like to Lift up here this morning that there will be a time that the Gentiles will have their fullness and God will graft the Jews back in again. And that simply means there will be some cutting off of the, of the Gentile people. And I, uh, I think we are on the threshold of that this morning. Um, and the Jewish people may soon be grafted back in again in in the near future. And then in verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For many Christians, that has been a tremendous stumbling block. The whole concept that all Israel is going to be saved, what do you mean? You mean the whole nation of Israel is going to be saved? Well, No, I don't believe that that's what it's saying. I do believe that it means a large group of Jewish people will be saved, but not all Israel. Now, to explain myself and give you the details of some of that back in prophecy, let us turn back to Zechariah chapter 13. And I can't lay you all all the groundwork on, like I say, in chapters 12, 13, and 14. I highly recommend that it... If you have any question on what I'm saying here this morning, that you read those three chapters uh, very carefully. Verse 7 of chapter 13. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. Verse 8, And it shall come to pass that in all the land shall the Lord, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third part shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, 
and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. Now there is where we can say, yes, that is the fulfillment of all Israel being saved. Two-thirds are going to die. They're going to be cut off and die in this great calamity that will happen in Jerusalem. Now, in chapter 12, we have that Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling. And all nations will be gathered together against Jerusalem. And uh, I think that is, uh, I, I saw a list the other day of the votes that have been given by all the countries against Israel in the United Nations Assembly. It is unbelievable. There is practically no one left that is truly supporting them as a nation. There are some temporary things there with Saudi Arabia right now because of the fear of Iran and some of that thing going on. But the United States included and all the rest of the world is turning their heart and their support against Israel. And so they are alone and we are beginning to see what will easily be a fulfillment of all nations coming against Jerusalem to battle and to try to annihilate them. They are saying, death to Israel. They are saying, we're going to push them into the Mediterranean. They are going on and on about all these things. The Gentile people, for some reason, and we won't go into that right now, want the Jewish people eliminated. And yet, they are the only and fairest democracy in the entire Middle East. No one has uh, has a uh, anything close to human rights, I would say, as what they do. And no one has the uh, blessing of inventions and and technology and discovery of many things that have been given on them. But I don't want to go into the uh, the natural part. The fact is here that we're finding out um, there was an article just in the last week again that American Jews are immigrating back to Israel. I tried to get the figures and uh, they don't seem, uh, uh, I'm not satisfied with what I got other than the fact that the Messianic Jewish church is considered to be about 300,000. Now, that is more than all the Amish in the world. Uh, and we just look at our plain communities, how many Amish there are in Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, and Pennsylvania, and Michigan, and, and now scattering to practically every nation in you know, every state of the Union, not quite, but very many of them. And we think of them as a large group of people. But the Messianic Jewish family has grown uh, in estimations in 2013, 2014, I think, to be around 300,000. Not only that, there are a large groups of Jews immigrating from Ukraine because of the Russian-supported um, uh, civil war there that's going on. But the most interesting part was the fact that they're beginning to immigrate from North America, the U.S. and Canada. They smell something. They see something coming. And, of course, we see the rise of anti-Semitism coming into the United States and uh, Jewish people being, uh, uh, there's graffiti being written all over the cities, you know, against the Jew. And it's too much a memory of what happened in Europe uh, before the Second World War when there was a major... Um, uh, looking down upon the Jew, rejection of the Jew, and finally persecution of the Jew. And that is beginning uh, here in the United States now likewise. But that is where it is. The other thing I would say, yeah, so immigration is still growing uh, back there. And also the Messianic uh, movement is uh, is increasing on a uh, monthly or uh, yearly basis. But the sad part that we want to look at here as we, uh, as we look at this, um, this message is the fact of what is going to happen 
with the Gentile people. If we believe that the Jews will be grafted back in again, if we believe the wild olive branch is going to be cut off, then I have to assume that the difficulty of conversion that was on the Jewish part for 2,000 years could come on the Gentile people. And that's a pretty scary thing. I feel in my travels around the country, it has already begun. In the last... uh, in the last eight years, I would say, especially uh, six, eight years, there have been very few and small revivals in comparison to what we saw in the late 80s and throughout the 90s and the early 2000s. We had the enjoyment of preaching evangelistic message and baptizing 25, 30 people in, uh, at a time. We had you know, so many conversions that it was difficult to properly counsel and to properly disciple them, even though I believe that it was a mistake that we didn't put more effort forth in that, in the area of discipleship. I would acknowledge that today. Nevertheless, it seemed like people could just so easily get converted, get right with God and get in the church. And the church had lots of teaching and preaching and Bible schools and things going on that it seemed like we thought that that would take care of perhaps the discipleship that we were looking or hoping would take place, that people would be discipled kind of automatically by coming to church and listening to the messages and coming to Bible school and so on, or weekend the meetings. And I agree they had many, many opportunities, but as far as the discipleship to understand the doctrinal position of the church and lay out a clear path of what that is and what we believe and what we expect, there was some neglect there. I would say on my part, I, I would see that. But the question that I have for all of you here this morning is, what will happen and what is happening if we have a diminishing of conversions and revival among the Gentile people or what will eventually develop into a cutting off of the Gentile people and the natural olive branch being grafted back in again. Within the last two weeks, I think, or three weeks, I believe it might be now, I have heard uh, of two incidents of Jewish people getting converted. One man was going out on the streets where there were a lot of Jewish people. I'm not sure whether it wouldn't have been in... uh, in Brooklyn of New York or somewhere like that. And you know how they carry their little book along with them and they recite it and they memorize it and they walk as they're reciting. Well, he had a microphone and a recorder and he went up to numerous Jewish people and asked them would they turn to the forbidden chapter and read it in Hebrew. And they did. They would stop, open their black book to Isaiah chapter 53 and read it. In uh, very clearly there, in, of course, I couldn't understand it as I watched it uh, uh, of the in the Hebrew language. But at the end, the man who was witnessing would say, "Isn't it possible that this might be speaking of Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Isn't that what the uh, the prophecies of the Old Testament would prophesy concerning a Messiah? And isn't that what happened?" Who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord be revealed and how he would not be accepted but rejected and all those things that are given in in, uh, Isaiah chapter 53. And they would look at him and say, that fits. Or they would acknowledge to the fact that, yes, that could be. And I think, I think he met five people that he did that to in one in one day there, I think it was, uh, wherever uh, that took place. I'm not sure it was in Brooklyn, but wherever it took place, but it was in a concentrated Jewish area. And the other one was also of of uh, the growth of the Messianic movement and the people uh, uh, turning uh, their hearts to the Messiah to uh, and accepting the fact that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and was the Savior of the world and that they had missed him. Well, like I say, I'm not sure what's going on, but 
allow your mind to be stretched forth and and take in this big picture this morning if you can. I believe it is very, very serious because I think that a lot of our people are not taking the opportunities that are afforded them and given them and pled with them on to get their lives converted and repented of of their sins while this door is open, while there is not a blindness or a just no focus upon the Gentile people, or may we say perhaps no drawing, no strong drawing to come to Christ. I don't know how many young people now that I've heard of that have wanted to taste the world and went out and and forgot the church and, and went out into sin and wanted to experience the world and all at once found out that that does not satisfy and that is no answer and are seeking supposedly to find their way back but are having incredible difficulty doing so. Incredible difficulty doing so. I don't know what that means to you because I believe uh, that the day and age of grace is open. But why isn't there a greater draw upon their heart? Why don't they weep over their condition and over their sin? Why aren't they crying out to God with a loud voice for the sins that they've committed and the debauchery and, and uh, recklessness of life that they have thrown themselves into into the world? Why don't they get serious with God in that way? We hear all these words about they're trying to find their way back, and I, I witness some of that. I see some of that. But it's not coming through. It's not coming through to a genuine uh, fire and love for God and a forsaking of sin like it should be. There seems to be kind of a mixture and a hanging on to their uh, worldly Facebook accounts that are filled with their worldly friends and and they have all their bad pictures of their sinful life yet on them, and yet claim they are seeking after God. I Something isn't right here. Something isn't right. And like I say, <coughs> I don't know if it is God who won't draw them because they rejected better knowledge like they did and went bold-facedly against better knowledge into the sins and the corruption that they did, or whether it's just the fact that we are nearing the time that the time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. In any event, I would say it would do us good to take inventory and, and consider these things. My greatest plea is that, that if you have opportunity and you sit under the gospel message and you sit in a revival meeting and you have an invitation and you have people who would want to help you to find true repentance, that you would not pass that up. You would not pass that up. You may not have that even, that much drawing in some years to come. Let's continue just and finish the chapter a little bit here. Verse 27, This is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Now, I'd like to underscore that word covenant. You know, God doesn't change. When He makes a covenant, uh, uh, it is a, a it is a firm and sound uh, commitment to it. And I know I, I, can't, I didn't uh, take the time to look it up, but one of the Old Testament prophets says, "Not for their sakes do I." It but for my holy name's sake and for David, my servant. So he, he so loved David that he made a covenant. You know what? If these people are going to fall away, if they're going to reject me, I'm going to reject them. I'm going to cut them off. Those are the words that are used by Hosea. But in the end, I'm going to bring a remnant back and I'm going to save them. And that's the covenant he made. That no matter how much they reject him, how far they have gone, even though they crucified the Lord, even though they did all those things to his apostles and prophets and preachers through the years, nevertheless, there will be a time when God is a covenant-keeping God and will call them and he'll graft them back in again. Thus saith God. 
When I shall take away their sins. What a beautiful thing. They're going to get saved. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes and have been for many, many years. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. God loved the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And therefore made a covenant with them concerning this remnant that will come back. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God said it, and he's going to keep his word. That's how I understand it. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. And then he explains something here in the end that I've really appreciated. It's difficult sometimes for us to figure it all out. But look at the words. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord and who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And that's the end of the three chapters there, where he gives this discourse on the Jewish people, his own kinsmen in the flesh. And it's uh, unmistakable that that's who he's talking about. But just looking at these closing verses here, it seems like he's saying the Christian, some of the Christian church may have some difficulty with this thing and can't all figure it out. But he's saying there, who hath given to him that shall not be recompensed again? Or who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor? We're not his counselor. We're not going to tell him how he has to do it. He's going to do what he's going to do and what he's covenanted to do. And we must fit into that program. Now, I would say that all the more gives us uh, the urgency uh, to to, uh, not harden our hearts and uh, rather to do all diligence to soften our hearts before a holy God. I especially say that to you younger generation. Well, you have the opportunity in the day and age of grace that you are in and knowing if you read these scriptures and understand and believe them that you are coming to the edge of when God may turn his draw and his focus upon the Jewish people. You know, he does say, no man cometh unto the Father except the Father draw him. And that's one thing that I see so clearly with some of the rebellion that is going on throughout the churches when young people say, well, I want to have fun. I want to enjoy the world. And when I come, I'll come back later and I'll repent. You will not repent when you want to repent. You will repent only when God allows you to repent. You only come back to God when God draws you to come back to him. You may want to come back a hundred times, but you will not be able. That's how I see it. That unless there is the Father will draw us, unless the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin, we may want to turn our hearts, we may have found out that sin doesn't satisfy, we may have found out that the world has nothing to offer, but if there's no drawing there from the Spirit of God bringing brokenness and weeping over our sins and confession of them and forsaking them, you're not going to reach it. So, Take heed to his word this morning that the time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. That uh, the fullness of the Gentiles will be coming and God will turn his focus back on the Jewish people. I don't know when. I believe that according to Zechariah, the major salvation to all Israel being saved is when Jesus comes back. And they will look on him whom they have pierced. And mourn for him as one that mourned for his only son. 
And so they will say, oh no, what have we done? We have made the most awful mistake 2,000 years ago. And they will receive him and be converted, although two-thirds of them will lose their life. So that's when the big salvation will come to the Jewish people. But I sense that something is going on today. And I believe things are beginning to shift slowly in a different direction. And uh, when I... I was shocked to hear that the Messianic Jewish church is at 300,000 and uh, and growing. But uh, so I would say consider these things and uh, due diligence, young men, young ladies, all of us together. If you're not right with God, due diligence to seek the Lord while he may be found. Thank you. God bless you.